You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Extend my welcome to you this morning. Uh, if you're here in the room and also to you joining us online, it's so great to be sharing the word with us today. And we're here in this series, if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know of Seek First His Kingdom and His Righteousness. We started a few weeks ago looking at these verses in Matthew 6. We played a little bit of this or that as we considered what will be first in our hearts and the call to seek his kingdom first. Now this series, it began challenging, and in my view, it's carried on being challenging. Is there anyone willing to admit you've been challenged by this series? Okay, that's six of us. The rest of you, were you here? Were you listening? What was that all about? This is challenging stuff, the words of Jesus, where he calls things out of us. We've been looking Then in the past three weeks, we looked at the parable of the miners or the talents, beginning with a kingdom mindset. We were reminded that the king of this kingdom has gone away to be made king, and although he hasn't done so yet, he is going to return, and he's going to ask us what we've done with what he has entrusted to us. Now, if you weren't challenged by that, I don't know what you're going to be challenged by. I was challenged by that. We looked at the parable of the sower, nurturing a kingdom heart, being receptive to God's word, which has been sown. And it isn't yet the end of the growing season. It's not yet the harvest. We've not yet seen the full fruitfulness of the soil. And last week, Mark spoke about the narrow door, the invitation to come to Jesus, to walk in intimacy with him now and to be known by him, to put off the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us, fixing our eyes on Jesus as Hebrews 12 encourages us to do, so that at the last we will be welcomed in to take our seats at the great banquet in the kingdom of God. It was beautiful and powerful to see so many people responding at the end of our second service last week. In all of these parables, all of the teaching, As we've looked at them, there's been something that's given or called for in the now with a view to something in the future that is not yet. And actually at the heart of our understanding of the kingdom of God, we must grasp that Jesus came to, if you like, inaugurate this kingdom, to initiate its coming on the earth. He's got it started, but its complete fulfillment on the earth will be in the future when he returns. It is not yet. It may be soon. If you're watching the news like I'm watching the news, you think maybe he's coming soon. I don't know that, but it is not yet. And there's a sense in which this kingdom of God is a now and a not yet kingdom. And that's my title today, actually, the now and the not yet kingdom of God. Now, of course, there's many things in life perfectly naturally that have a now and a not yet sense to them. We're familiar with this. A few years, well, many years ago, I went to train to be a physiotherapist. In my first year, I got the uniform. I had to do some things on wards and in hospital departments. There were a few limited responsibilities I was given. I could do those in the now. I could wear the uniform in the now, but I did not yet have the status of a chartered physiotherapist. That was not yet. 
There was learning, there was process in order for that to be fulfilled. If you want daffodils in your garden in March, you can buy the bulbs now. In fact, you'll need to buy the bulbs now and plant them now. But you won't be able to enjoy the flowers until next March. It's now, but it's not yet. When a woman takes a pregnancy test and sees a blue line, she knows something is changing right now. But there are a few months for growth, for process, until the fulfillment, it's not yet. And we hope for her that she can get many, many lions in the months in the interim time. But you hear what I'm saying? There's a now and there's a not yet. If you take out a mortgage to buy a house, you'll be given the deeds of the property. Your name will be on the land registry. You'll be there as the owner. You'll be able to move in. You can get your post sent there. But the real fulfillment of your ownership, when it will be truly yours, fully yours, those of us with mortgages and interest rates, the day it will be truly yours, is not yet. And these are challenging days for mortgage owners, are they not? When a bride and groom stand in a church and make vows to one another, give their lives to one another, essentially, the minister says, I now declare that you are husband and wife. In that moment, in the now, they are married. They are husband and wife. But the full fulfillment of their vows, sickness and health, richer, fora, till death us do part. The full fulfillment of that is not yet. Who knows, there's learning, there's process, there's communicating. There's a lot to learn for that to be fulfilled. Amen, from the front row, thank you, Martin. I have a witness, but not the one I was hoping for. <laughs> in all these things you see, there's process. There's things required in the now because of the hope, because of the goal of the not yet. For some of those things, it's work. For some of them, it's payment or faithfulness or preparation of some kind that leans towards or leans into the not yet. And we're going to look at some words from Luke 13, some more words of Jesus, to help us really to understand something more of this now and not yet kingdom of God and how we can respond now to lean into the not yet. So this is Luke 13, turn with me if you want to. We're going to read verses 10 to 21. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted in all the wonderful things he was doing. And then Jesus, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, 
and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. These are the words of Jesus. We've got Jesus here healing a crippled woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath. We have an outcry from the synagogue leader about the violation of the integrity of the Sabbath and Jesus going after the hypocrisy of this system, upholding dead rules and religion, keeping up an appearance of obedience to God whilst actually being far from what he really desires. In fact, Jesus many times calls out the hypocrisy at the heart of the Jewish religious leaders. And for the people living in that time, hearing the words of Jesus, between the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the brutality of the Roman occupiers, the hope of their coming Messiah was pretty much all that they had left. They believed he was gonna come and restore the kingdom to Israel. He would come as one, as a priest who would cleanse the temple and restore worship in it. He would come as a mighty military leader and bring deliverance and freedom. They were waiting for the big moment. They were waiting for the big entrance, the long-awaited Messiah who was gonna come in and step in and bring the shift and the change that they longed for, ached for, groaned for. It's why in Acts 1 verse six, even after three years of listening to Jesus, the disciples asked him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're saying, are we about to see the big thing we've hoped for? It's why the Pharisees in Luke 17, 20, they ask Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. They were waiting for an event, a fulfillment of promises that they'd heard. They were living in anticipation of the big breakthrough, the big moment they were looking for. And it's into this backdrop that Jesus says these words and gives them these pictures about the kingdom of God. He said, it's like a mustard seed that a man planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. He says, again, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms or 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus is giving them two ordinary, everyday examples that everybody would have been familiar with. They all lived in a subsistence farming society. They relied on the growing of food. Bread was made in every house. You couldn't pick it up in Tesco. These were ordinary rhythms, ordinary events of life that everybody knew about. Jesus is including men and women in these pictures of things that were familiar to them, perhaps to suggest to them that the coming of the kingdom was actually the business of ordinary people, of men and women just like them. These things were familiar to them, they may not be familiar to us. We've got some pictures just to help us to imagine what he's talking about. Here is a mustard seed on a finger. You can just about see it, it looks like a little pimple there on the end of his finger, so tiny. You would struggle even to separate them out and to plant them. But here we have this idea, this tiny, insignificant looking seed. Once in the ground, it has the potential to grow into a reasonably large tree. I think we've got a picture of, of a tree there now. I need to give you a caveat here. I'm not 100% sure that's a mustard tree. <laughs> we tried, we looked, we researched, but it's harder than you think. You see, some mustard seeds grow into plants that actually look more like the plants that are growing in the field there than the tree. 
but some grow into trees. In Israel, probably a tree nine or 10 feet tall, and they grew wide as well as high. There's some other species that can also grow up to about 30 feet high. If you're a horticulturalist or a tree specialist and whatever you actually call that, if you want to educate me between the services, please do, but you get the idea. Tree is what it grows into, something for us to look at and to visualize. You see, the seed that the man plants, if we can go back to that little picture of the seed on his finger, inside that seed is everything that is needed all the genetic material, all the potential and the power to grow into something that's totally unrecognizable from the seed. If we'd not seen it happen ourselves, if we'd not uh, like seen that a, an acorn can grow into an oak tree, we just wouldn't believe that it was possible. And as he holds this tiny seed on his finger, there's a sense in which right on his finger, he holds a mustard tree. It's all there in the now. But the potential fulfilled is not yet. Because it needs sowing, it needs watering, it needs time to grow. And the reality is if that man plants that seed in the months and days and, and years that follow, we might be able to walk by it and we might see a shoot. And then a little plant, a little sapling as it grows, you wouldn't actually see it changing. The, the movement, the growth would be imperceptible to the naked eye, but gradually, the potential of the seed would be fulfilled. Eventually, the tree would be fully grown. Eventually, birds would be able to rest in its branches and find shade and shelter. In this not now and not yet kingdom, the small becomes big, and it just needs time to grow. This kingdom seed that just needs time to do its work, time to unfold, time for the necessary process of growth. Jesus is saying the kingdom starts small but grows big and the, the change and the growth may be imperceptible to the naked eye. It may not be reported on in the media, but the kingdom seed that Jesus came and planted will not fail. Even in the natural in our world, we know that big things start small. I have three children, all three of whom, at one point, I could cradle in one arm. They're all now taller than me. Big things start small. Jeff Bezos, who's the owner of Amazon, the fifth most profitable company in the whole world, he began his business headquarters in his garage. A Washington Post journalist who visited him in 1995 said he got there. Jeff told him he'd been up late packing books with his wife. Jeff himself says all big things start small. On June the 17th, 2016, the South Korean firm Smart Study, the entertainment company behind the children's content brand Pinkfong, uploaded to YouTube Baby Shark Dance. And someone clicked for the first view. But only in 2017 did that begin to go viral. And then over the last six years, do you know how many views it's had? 13 billion views. That means you've all viewed it twice, essentially. And I do just need to apologize, because if in your house there's been more views than you would like there to have been, I'm sorry for raising it today. But this is how things happen. Big things start small. 
Big things start small. But of course, time is needed for it to happen, the process. And in our society, the truth is that we love the big. We love the impressive. We love the already done, already sorted, already made it, already viral. We want to be part of the big stuff, the stuff that's already made it. We hate waiting. We want it right now. I don't want to plant the bulbs now for March. I'll just buy the ones that someone else planted and grew, because that's how we like to do things. We're generally fairly impatient. Anyone here love waiting? None of us love waiting. Jesus says this is a now and a not yet kingdom. It's like a mustard seed. A seed's been planted and is growing, but the potential is not yet fulfilled. And he's telling us this because if we look for the kingdom with worldly eyes, we'll look for the big, we'll look for the impressive, and we won't see it. We'll miss it, and we'll run after the stuff that we can see instead. And we need to know that this is a now and a not yet process. Where a small seed is growing, it is in process. If we don't grasp this, we will look at the things that are in our own hands, and we will think they are too small for the kingdom of God. We will look at the things that we've been given and we've been entrusted and we'll think they are not big enough or good enough or developed enough for God to use those things. The time that I could give, the offering that I could bring, the prayer that I could pray, the contribution I could make as a steward or a musician or or a camera operator, the few words I could share with my neighbor about my faith, the invitation to church that I could give to my friend the integrity that I show or the kindness that I hold out to someone at work. Because these things, when we look at them, they seem small when we feel like we're waiting for the move of an awesome God. I certainly know the things I see in my hand, they look small. But friends, this season is not simply for us to wait for the big entrance, to wait for the return, but to be part of the small kingdom seed that is growing big. In this now and this not yet kingdom, the small is becoming big, and this is the season for sowing and growing the small things that we have. Whatever it is that has been entrusted to us, it's different for all of us, but when we bring these things, when we offer them as kingdom seeds, small as they are, The kingdom, in the kingdom, the small becomes big. It just needs time to grow. As Martin said at the offering time, we've been doing vision offerings since 2016. When we first did one, we had a significant debt. And so we all just made a small start. We brought what we could. We pledged what we could, what we felt the Lord tell us to pledge. And just amazingly, how the Lord has taken the small that we've brought and done something big with it. In the first four years, we managed to clear a mortgage, as he said. The mortgage had at one point, uh, stood at 1.8 million pounds, and the Lord worked a miracle through our hands as we brought the small, and somehow he made it big. And then we've been able to seed fund some missional work, the school's work. We made a little start, some assemblies, some videos, some lessons. We just got going from a standing start, and 2,000 children and young people have been reached. We're taking steps to partner with Dignify. It's a Watford-based charity, you probably heard us speak about it, that's seeking to protect young people from the harmful effects of pornography. We believe this charity is needed across the whole country, not just in Watford. 
And we think if we can get it into Coventry schools and help Dignify develop a model by which it can be rolled out further, we can get this wider. It can grow. We can't do all of that, but we'll do the small thing we can do. We take a step and lives who will grow up and have families and raise the next generation. Something different gets sown into them. We could talk about other things that we've sown into. The Jubilee Fund that lifts families out of debt and the mental health issues and the limitations that come with significant debt. We could talk about guardian ballers that we've sown into that enables young people to have a space and a place to talk about their well-being and their faith. These are some small things. There's more we could talk about, but there's not time this morning. But as we've sown into, as a church, with the offerings that many of us have brought, these have been kingdom seed, small things for God to grow big in his time. You see, the Lord delights to take the small. He's not afraid of the big, but he loves to take the small. He loves to take the seemingly insignificant, to take the ones, the things, the least, and to grow them and to use them, to show his beauty through them, to show that his power can be made perfect in weakness. It's why the Lord spoke to Zechariah in a different season, on a different day, in a different issue, and he says, who dares despise the day of small beginnings? If we despise the day of small beginnings, we'll miss the work of the kingdom because it nearly always begins with a day of small beginnings. The small becomes big. So just before Jesus says these words, he's there in the synagogue and he heals a crippled woman. In that society, she would have been probably insignificant, overlooked. We can see that by the view of the synagogue leader. Perhaps an onlooker could have asked Jesus that day, one action, one synagogue, one Sabbath, what can that achieve? But when Jesus sows the seed of the kingdom, nobody knows what will result. Nobody knows how far that will go. No one knows how big that will grow. It's why it's always worth putting what we have into his hands. The now and the not yet kingdom the small becomes big, it just needs time to grow. The second picture that Jesus uses in this parable, it's around yeast. I think we've got some pictures here again. Yeast working through the dough, that is yeast if you've never seen it. It's another tiny substance. And it has to be worked through the dough. I think we've got a picture of it being, the dough being worked there, someone working hard with their hands. You see, yeast is a raising agent. It makes the dough rise. It creates carbon dioxide inside it, which stretches and expands the dough, and it's what gives the bread its light and airy texture. If you like dense bread, you don't want yeast. If you want your bread to look like this, with nice like pockets of air, then you need yeast to make it do that, because it changes the structure of the bread. I love bread. Anyone else love bread? Bread, it's good. Now. As the bread is kneaded, you can't tell the yeast has been added. You can't see it. It's hidden. It's unseen. And just a tiny bit of yeast is necessary with a load of flour. But then the baker kneads it, puts it into the dough, works it through, and the little bit of yeast works through the hole. You see, in this now and not yet kingdom, the unseen impacts the hole. It just needs working through. The unseen impacts the whole, it just needs working through. I'm not saying that kneading dough isn't tricky, it's hard, it makes your hands hurt, it needs some perseverance, 
But once it's in and it's worked through the dough, then it, all that's needed is time for the dough to prove, for the yeast to do its thing, for the reaction to take place. Of course, through the process, the yeast looks insignificant. It may look ineffective. It may be hidden. We won't be able to see its progress. But before long, the whole mixture is leavened by this unseen agent. Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the synagogue leader, who appeared to observe the Sabbath and honor God, but in whose heart the hidden things of the kingdom that were needed, love, compassion, desire for someone else to be free or whole, in fact, anything of the true life of God, the hidden things, they were absent. Jesus says the unseen things matter. There's no room for hypocrisy, for attending to things that look how they should do, but ignoring the hidden, unseen things. Jesus knows that unseen things impact the whole, not always for good. If we'd asked the question five years ago, before COVID, could something unseen impact the whole world across every continent and change the way the people live? If we'd asked that five years ago, we would have had a mixture of answers. And probably most of us would have said, probably not the whole world, probably not that far. But COVID-19 has showed us that something so small it can't be seen by the naked eye can indeed change the whole world. It can work through the whole. Hidden things, small things can have massive impact. Jesus says yeast works through the whole dough. He gave examples and used this at other points in his teaching to talk about the negative side of this principle. He talked about the yeast of the Pharisees being hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another, appearing like one thing on the outside, but inside being different. And Jesus says it can spread. Beware, beware, it can spread. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we hear that compromise to sin can also spread through the whole. Friends, this is why your choices matter. Your hidden choices matter. Your lifestyle matters. The unseen things in your life matters, not just for you, because the unseen spreads through the whole. The writer to the Hebrews talks about it says, no one, let, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's like, make sure that no one gets bitter because it will defile many. A little bit can work through the whole. That's on the negative side. Jesus is talking here in these verses about the kingdom coming and the positive aspect of this spreading through the whole. As we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, this is going to mean letting his ways work through every area of our lives working through all the dough, not just my Sunday life, not just the bit that my church friends see or know, but working through every part, the unseen parts, my home life, my work life, my friendships, my relationships, how I steward my sexuality, my finances, my heart. It's largely hidden work, with the unseen agents of the kingdom things like prayer that grow my relationship and my intimacy with Jesus. Reading the Bible, letting the truth of God impact my life and where I try to change my life to align with it. 
where I look at what is going on in my head and my thoughts compared with the truth of the word. That's a lot of the work of freedom in Christ. This is hidden work. The unseen agents of the kingdom. Gratitude, making sure we have gratitude in our heart to God and to others where needed. Humility, expressed in service to others or in forgiveness or apology when appropriate. Honor of God and of those made in his image. Love and compassion. These are some of the unseen agents of the kingdom. Accountability and generosity, they're hidden, healthy habits. It's gone very quiet in the room. These are all like unseen raising agents at work or can be at work in the dough of our lives if we will make room for them. And little by little, they will change the internal structure working through the whole. And of course, we're all still works in progress. But as we let those things work in our lives and work through the whole of our lives, then there's an extension that perhaps our changed and changing lives can work through to others in the places where we find ourselves, in the spheres of influence where we live and we connect with others. We presence ourselves there and work through the dough of the world as we have a chance to kind of rub off on others, to share, to invite, to demonstrate something different, to impact the whole. You see, the primary way that God is bringing his kingdom is through his agents, his kingdom agents, those who know him already, and by them working through the whole, not necessarily visible, not necessarily prominent, but unseen, little by little, impacting the whole batch. I spoke to someone this week, and this week they met uh, early in the morning, every morning, to pray with a friend who's recently become a Christian. Prayer, it's one of the unseen agents of the kingdom. They met every morning to pray with their friend, and among the matters they prayed for was another mutual friend. On day three of praying in this way, the mutual friend opened up to them. This friend is nowhere with God, has some challenges in life, and she said, I really need God. I really need to sort my life out. Will you pray for me? A little yeast, prayer, an unseen kingdom agent working through the dough in one person's life and another person's life. And then it begins to work and impact another person's life. This is a little yeast, kingdom yeast, impacting the whole. Of course, we may need to be patient. It may take a while. We may need to be bold and to not compromise or shrink back and to allow what God has done and is doing in us to work through to others. You should not worry if we can't see the progress of the kingdom. Oh, we all want to see the progress of the kingdom, don't we? Don't worry if you can't see the progress of the kingdom. Because the unseen impacts the whole. It just needs working through. This is a now and a not yet kingdom. And the small becomes big and it just needs time to grow. The unseen impacts the whole, it just needs working through. And the third point I want to bring today is in this now and not yet kingdom, the inside changes first. It just needs to receive grace. Perhaps the most striking part of this picture that Jesus gives with the yeast is that it all happens from what is hidden and on the inside. The change happens from the inside out. 
If we didn't know better, in fact, most things we're given, if we had to make them bigger, we would stretch them. We would try to impose the increase from the outside, right? Maybe you're just wiser than I am, but we would try and do that. We would try to just impose it on them. The Jews were awaiting a Messiah who would come in his power to forcibly deliver them from their enemies. And perhaps we expect the kingdom of God to come this way too. We would love to see regular displays of his undeniable power that would force people to believe. Anyone with me? But that's not quite the way, Jesus says. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, says about the kingdom, you expect it will make its way by external means, by subduing nations and vanquishing armies, though it shall work as leaven, yeast, silently, insensibly, without any force of violence. You see, the inside changes first in this kingdom. The kingdom comes within, within us and among us. Jesus' answer when the Pharisees said to him, when will the kingdom of God come? He said, the kingdom of God coming is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. He says, because the kingdom of God is within you or among you. The kingdom of God cannot be entered by having it imposed externally. It is chosen. You cannot force grace on anyone. It has to be received, welcomed, accepted, opened as a gift. Now, of course, there will be a day when the kingdom comes in all its fullness on the earth, when the king returns, and then the kingdom will be imposed. As we heard last week, on that day, the door will be shut. But in this now and not yet season, before the king returns, the kingdom comes through the receiving of grace, through choosing, through desiring, through welcoming, through the free will of those who accept and welcome to seek first the ways of the king within our lives and among us as people as we journey together. It's part of the miracle of grace that Holy Spirit comes and presences himself in us to work in us and change us on the inside. As Paul puts it, he works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And he dwells in the spaces between us as people. That's why he says, where two or three gather, there I am in their midst. So friends, as we walk in unity and forgiveness and purity and honor, the kingdom comes in the midst of us. What a mystery. Into our relationships, into our community. That's why it matters how we are with one another. Because the kingdom comes in the midst of his people and then works out. The inside changes first. We can only work out the grace of the kingdom when it's in us and among us. We cannot work out what we do not have. The inside changes first. Tamsin, if I can invite you to come. You see, this is a now and a not yet kingdom where the small becomes big and it just needs time to grow. The unseen impacts the whole. It just needs working through. The inside changes first. It just needs to receive grace. So how do we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? These words of Jesus, they're inviting us to choose in the now, to lean into the not yet, to attend to the small things, and to offer them as kingdom seed to be planted. 
to value and to prioritize the unseen kingdom things so that they might work through the whole of us and work within us and impact the whole. And he invites us to engage with what is on the inside of us and to let God's grace change us from the inside out. Then we will be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. As I conclude and bring us to respond this morning, we're actually we're gonna come to the communion table as a response today. We're gonna remember the cross, this place from where all grace flows. And friends, it may be a now and a not yet kingdom, but the atoning work of the cross is complete. That is what makes way for the coming kingdom. The command of scripture is that we should always examine ourselves when we come to this table. And anyone is welcome to come who comes honestly and repentant, wanting to identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. So I just simply invite us in these moments to take, a, take the space and the time to examine yourself. Let's examine ourselves, take stock of the small, the unseen, the inside things. Is there anything we need to repent of today? Is there anything we know that Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about but we have ignored or not followed through? In a few moments, we'll have opportunity to come to the table. There's four tables here in the room. I'm gonna read some verses of scripture and pray and then feel free to come when you're ready. Come alone or come with someone else. These are the words that Paul wrote to Titus. He said, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that your kingdom is coming and that you invite us to be part of what you are doing in the earth. We thank you for the cross. And we come to your table today knowing that we have no other way to be righteous but by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And so we thank you for his body given for us. For his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. We have no other hope of being made pure, Lord, but that your spirit would work in us with your grace to change us, to conform us to Jesus, and to make for yourself a people that are your very own, bringers and agents of your kingdom. So as we come to your table today, Father, would you cleanse us? Would you fill us? Would you heal us and minister to us, prepare us and use us in the now for the not yet of your coming kingdom, 
Let our hearts be filled with hope and expectation of that day when you appear. So we lean in, Lord. We remember the cross and proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Amen.